Good morning, Maranatha Grace. Peace be with you. Whew, this is good. Would you turn with me and follow along as I read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. As you're finding your place, I want to tell you about a post on Instagram that I saw this week that I actually think will frame our time together. The post came from the handle at Team USA, which posts, uh, shares posts about the U.S. Olympians. I think we have a picture of the post. They posted a picture of a Paralympic sprinting duo, David Brown and Jerome Avery. Uh, they are the reigning 100-meter dash champions. They sprint side by side because David, who's on the right in the picture, on the right side in the picture, but I guess on our left, uh, that he is completely blind. And so Jerome Avery guides him by way of a shoelace that's tied around their fingers. And just so you know that they run a sub 11 second 100 meter. So that's just slightly over one second slower than Usain Bolt. Just think about the coordination, the dependence on each other, that the need to be perfectly aligned for this type of partnership to thrive. They need to be in sync like JT and Lance Bass. As partners, their success in this race is literally bound together. And so with this picture in mind, let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Dear friends, this is God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thanks be to God for his word. The partnership of Brown and Avery is a good metaphor for the partnership that is described in this passage. Paul says that he and the church in Philippi have a partnership in the gospel, that they are partakers of grace together. Uh, it's interesting to note that the same root word is used in partnership and partakers, and it's actually the same word that is often translated fellowship, koinonia. And while we think about fellowship of gathering together, living life together, uh, the, the word partnership is a better word for this context, which is a, a right way to think of it, because Paul is highlighting the ministry that they share. 
Think about how we consider partnerships in our day. There's partners in business. There's a partner uh, in a legal firm or in a medical practice. There's social or political partnerships. And in all of these things, they, they share resources. They share profits and losses. They share responsibility. Or they, they, they share a common vision with one another. They share in the duties and responsibilities of carrying out the mission. And that's what Paul's saying is, hey, we are partakers together in this shared mission of gospel ministry. One person says it like this, that, that Paul and this church are in the gospel business. They are in the grace business. And so Paul begins this letter with a greeting and a prayer giving thanks for this partnership as well as he wants to encourage them to continue in the faith for the sake of the mission that they all have a stake in. Their lives are bound together in this ministry, not by a shoelace, but by the Holy Spirit. Maranatha, as those saved by Jesus and those who have covenanted together As a local body, we too are partakers of grace together. We are partners in this same work. We are gospel partners. We are those whom God has redeemed, purchased, called to himself together for the purpose of living in light of his grace and proclaiming that grace to the world around us in order to make much of Jesus. You see that God has linked our lives together in this partnership, and we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, strive together to welcome others into this grace. We want to tell people about what God has done, and they want, we want them to be partakers of this grace as well, as well as we we, we, we are partners to help one another walk in light of what God has done. The, this is the partnership that we have in the gospel. So Paul, in his opening words, displays, for, um, he actually broadcasts the, almost the whole message of the rest of the book in these, op- in these opening verses. And he does so to to help highlight and define what this partnership looks like. In other words, what are the defining marks of this gospel uh, partnership? And so in in our time this morning, I want us to look at what are some of those defining marks of gospel partnership. And I want to highlight three. We could probably find more, but time won't allow us. So the, the three are this. The distinguishing marks of gospel partnership are humility, gratitude, and flourishing. Humility, gratitude, and flourishing. The first one, gospel partnership is marked by humility. Brothers and sisters, for a partnership to survive, the interests and good of the other must be at the forefront of our minds. Think about uh, business practices where one partner is selfish and self-absorbed. That company will not last very long. It's often riddled with corruption and, and, and infighting. But when we consider one another, that is the grounds by which uh, the, our gospel partnership can flourish. And Paul models this humility in the very opening words. 
If you recall from last week, the church in Philippians was beginning to experience divisions growing from within. In chapter 4, he names Judea and Synecdoche. And in chapter 2, he pleads with the church uh, as if they, were, they had some conflict together. And in chapter 2, he pleads with the church as a whole to be of the same mind. That they should look to each other's interests before their own. Again, this humility is the soil uh, which gospel partnership thrives and grows in. And Paul models this humility in the very opening words. Look again at, those, at the, the first two verses of our passage. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It may not seem like much, and, and, and often most of Paul's letters have some sort of greeting, so it's easy to just hop over this. But we have to remember who Paul is. He's an apostle. He could have pulled rank. He could have said, hey, do you guys know who I am? Get it together. But instead, he places his name along with Timothy, a much younger brother, and puts himself under authority, the authority of Christ Jesus. This letter is then addressed to all the saints. He goes, hey, we're in this thing together. All the regular members and the leaders. The overseers and the deacons. And in this word overseer, we use pastor, elder at Maranatha inter interchangeably because they're, they're rated in this same word, overseer. Overseer, bishop, pastor, they're all kind of linked together. He doesn't claim a title for himself other than a servant or a slave of Christ, but he gives honor to the leaders of the church. He respects them. He's putting their needs and, 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 and trying to show them honor. But again, these leaders are not distinct from the church, but they are part of the body together. They, they are to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with or together with the overseers and the deacons. He doesn't pull rank, nor does he just throw the hammer down. Uh, my brothers, I think I've, I've said this before. I have three older brothers. We get a little rowdy at times or when we were growing up. And my dad would often, when we got out of hand, my dad would just kind of storm in the room. Uh, Tom, maybe you can agree with me. He goes, what's going on here? Right? So it's like, just cut, or cut it out. Right? It's just this quick squash it. Trying to level your, your, your authority or leverage your authority. But Paul, he greets them with a reminder of God's grace. And this grace squashes pride. Because outside of God's grace that comes through Christ, none is worthy. But God has given his grace, not because anyone deserved it, but because he simply delighted to do so. This is the grace that saves wayward sinful people. This is the grace that welcomes the undeserving. This is the grace that unites us to Christ and his finished work. This is the grace that is from God our Father. As they recall God's grace in their own lives. As they think about what they have received, not because they've earned it, but because God has delighted to show them grace, humility is the result. Paul sees these brothers and sisters in light of this grace. He doesn't think too highly of himself 
or too lowly of them. He sees them in their need as connected to his own. Not just for his own good, but for theirs as well. And he sees that grace is the great equalizer. Paul demonstrates in his opening words that humility is a mark of gospel partnership. It is through this humility that unity in the body is formed. If everyone is at odds pursuing their own interests, disunity will inevitably follow. Brothers and sisters, let's bring it to today. Here's the point. There is no one in this church who is more important than any other person. By nature, we often create divisions or distinctions. We often value ourselves more highly and others more lowly. We proudly inflate our own contributions and importance. And Paul is trying to squash that because it's a hindrance to the gospel. It, it, it weakens the partnership. But then, sister, can I ask? Have you missed out on the joys of this kind of gospel partnership because there are just some you don't want to be associated with? You think, what could they add to, to my life? What contribution could they give to me? Brothers and sisters, there are no little people in the covenant family of God. And it is often the most unexpected that God will use to accomplish his purposes. And so, friends, let us grow in grace and in humility for the sake of this work of our gospel partnership. Think back to those runners. If one of them decided to run at their own speed, demands their own way, then they wouldn't have any shot at winning. I mean, you've all done three-legged races. When someone isn't pulling their weight, when someone is not in time with the other, it is a mess. Try running at full tilt. But when the, gospel, when the partnership is grounded in humility, as Tim Keller, I think, really helpfully says, it's not thinking less of yourself or on nobody. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's actually saying, hey, what are the interests of others? How can I help them? How can I serve them? How can I help them along? That's what humility is. It's in the pursuit of somebody else's interest. Then there's a winning partnership. And if we are marked with humility, we will grow to appreciate others, their stories, their gifts, their part in the partnership in such a way that we will be overwhelmed with gratitude to the Lord and to one another. And this gratitude is the mark, uh, is the second mark of this gospel partnership. Paul cannot contain his exuberant thankfulness. People often read Paul's letters and see him as being rigid, stern, domineering, or just flat out angry. But this is not what we see here, is it? In verses 3 to 8, we see how joyful and loving Paul was and how grateful he was. He can't help but think of these saints and praise God grinning from ear to ear even as he is in chains in a Roman prison. This partnership has been used by God to further the work of the gospel, and, be, and he has personally been encouraged. And so he's so thankful for them because they have been faithful in their partnership from day one. And that's why he says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Every time you come to mind, I just can't help but praise God. 
And in every prayer, he goes, I am so joyful in every prayer for these folks. Because from day one, they have, they have linked their arms with me in the, for the sake of the gospel. We begin to see that in Acts chapter 16, where this church was planted. It began when a wealthy woman, Lydia, was saved through Paul's preaching. And she generously said, hey, Paul, come and stay at my house. You and all your traveling friends, come and stay. You can stay at my house. It's big enough. I'll support this ministry. And that's exactly what she did. And so Paul continued, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke all continued to, to serve in Philippi. Until he, Paul and Silas, Silas were arrested. And they're put in jail. There's an earthquake, you may recall. And the earthquake was not so that they could get out of prison, but it was by God's way to actually bring salvation to the, the Philippian jailer. And Paul, Paul communicates the gospel or shares the gospel with this jailer. He comes to saving faith. And then the next day, they're actually released from prison. But Paul is forced to leave town. And all as he goes on, this church continues to support him. Check out chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving uh, and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They continually supported him. They, they, were, they, had, uh, they, they saw their lives as linked together with his. And he sees their generosity and their faithfulness as evidence of God's grace in, in their lives. Paul has seen God's spirit at work in them and through them. When he was with them, as he was in prison, when he proclaimed the gospel. And that's what he says in verse 7. He goes, and you've stood by me all the time because of the gospel. They are partakers of grace with him in this work. And as he thinks about partnership, he is overwhelmed. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is so kind, isn't he? he that he brings us into a partnership with one another. Look, just being here this morning, I am so thankful for the ways that the Lord has brought us together and has even made this morning possible. I am deeply thankful and praise God for Pastor Justin, who has, has read, I think, every word that has come out of Governor office, uh, Murphy's office for months so that he can wisely shepherd the, uh, this reopening and to, to, to do our best to, to abide by the law of the land, as well as create a space that, is, uh, f that we are free and safe to worship. To Eric Yang, Grace Young, and Justin Moy who have helped wire this place that we can have a live stream high at home. Thank Justin Moy. I didn't know how a can opener works. I couldn't get a live stream going. That, that all have helped to register, helped to create this space where we can all be here freely worshiping. The rest of the staff has been critical in thinking through this plan, as, as have the deacons, particularly Eunice and Steve. But more broadly, church, we know that you've been praying for us, pr pr praying for one another, encouraging one another, serving one another, even as we've been apart. Friends, God gives gifts to his people, but he doesn't give the same gifts to everybody. Some are called to preach, 
Some lead in song. Some greet guests. Some teach kids. Others visit the sick. Some pray behind the scenes. Some provide counsel. Some clean. And the list goes on and on. Beloved, God has gifted you and equipped you to play a role in this partnership. All are part of this beautiful design of God. And you have something to offer that, that is beneficial for the whole and furthers the ministry. And God delights to use whatever gift he's given you. So let us continue to encourage one another, not only by sharing our gifts, but also in expressing our gratitude to the Lord and to one another for when others share their gifts. Look, gratitude is so hard. It's easy to criticize and to dismiss. Look, I know that I am so often guilty of those very things. And I hate it because it kills joy. It lacks the thankfulness and ultimately calls what God has given to others unimportant or invaluable. Look, this doesn't mean that we should not evaluate, constructively critique, or help one another sharpen their gifts. This is exactly what Paul is going to do for the rest of the letter. But his thankfulness to God and to these saints is not minimized at all. He sees God at work in and through them and is thankful. Are you thankful, church? Think about how the, the Philippian church would have received this. They had to be so encouraged. Maybe you can think of a time when someone has reached out to you and said, hey, I know that nobody even saw you do that thing, but I did, and I'm so thankful for that. That fills your bucket, doesn't it? Who were those God has used in your life? Who were those that when you think of them like Paul, you can simply smile and just say, praise God? When was the last time you thanked the Lord for them? When was the last time you shared your gratitude to them? And for them. As Paul looks back at the track record of these saints, it is clear that it is, it is not just them in themselves, but that God that has been at work in them. And that's why he bursts forth with this, with this assurance in verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you at, will bring it to completion of the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. The lives of these saints bear witness to God's handiwork. And Paul knows that God is not a quitter. And the work that he began, he's going to finish. And this is that already not yet tension. In that, that time in between. He says God is at work. He recognizes it. And, he's, and God is at work to sanctify them, to mature them in their faith. So even as Paul gives thanks for them, he now says, now keep running. Continue to live each day in light of the work that God has begun and that he is bringing to completion. He wants them to live day to day in the light of the promises that God has guaranteed them. And that brings us to our third and last mark. We see that the gospel partnership is marked by humility, gratitude, but it's also marked by flourishing. Look at verse 9. And we'll read through the end of our passage. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In these verses, Paul spells out by way of a prayer what flourishing in this partnership will look like. He says, first, is that they will be marked by an increasing love, that, you, that your love will abound more and more. It's a love that holds each other in their hearts, as he says in verse 7. It's a love that flows out of the affection that Jesus has for his people. In other words, as they, as they have received the love of God through Jesus, and it so fills them, it will be overflowing and spill out to one another. That it was, it was, it will just pour out more and more, just growing inside. It, it is, it is an overflowing cup as we rest in the love and the affection that Jesus has for us. But this love is not like that of the world. It's, it's more than a feeling, and I won't sing that song. It's not like the love that you see in cartoons where the, you know, the two characters meet eyes, their eyes turn to hearts, and they begin to like levitate. It's not just all feels. It's not all heart and no head. No, this love is rooted in knowledge. It's that they would abound in love more and more with knowledge. Knowledge by itself puffs, puffs up, but knowledge that it's grounded and flows out of love is, is something that, that brings about flourishing. It's the knowledge of God. It's the, the knowledge of his grace, the knowledge of our identity being rooted in him, the knowledge of our eternal hope. It, it is not all heart and no head. This knowledge provides deep insight into the things and the ways of God and how he is at work in the world. And it's not just that we can have some encyclopedic information. I love trivia. But trivia is trivial. It doesn't help often. Just because I can talk about the 1988 Olympics more than I, that I would care to admit doesn't help me in day-to-day -day life. But love that is grounded in knowledge and with discernment, it abounds it spills out into practical living. And that's what he says. He goes, I pray that the love will grow and grow, that you will be filled with knowledge so that you will live in light of that knowledge. It's so that they can discern to how to live in, in the present in light of what God has done in the past and what he has promised to do in the future. This is being able to tell the difference, one person says, between good and evil when they so often appear at first glance as shades of gray. In our culture, there are a lot of blurred lines. This knowledge, grounded in love, it helps to discern the ways of God even in troubling and hard times. So that, that we would walk in this way, not for our own benefit, but that we would, or not to be proud and... Um, uh, proud, but rather that we would have a confident joy, that we would long to say, as Pastor Justin did at the beginning, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't be fearful that it's coming, but we would be expectant, that we'd be ready, that we'd be longing for it, that our lives today are looking forward to that great big day. Martin Luther famously said that I have two days in my calendar, this day and that day. 
This is what discernment helps us do. It's like, how do I live this day in light of that great day? And as they grow in this wise love, Paul prays that their lives will flourish with the fruit of righteousness. In other words, the life of God will flow through them. That they would bear fruit. Paul will later say in, uh, says in Galatians that they, that they would be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Say it with me. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Very good, church. That this would flow through us. For what purpose? Why? It isn't to make much of us. It's to make much of Jesus. It's to make much of God. It's to the glory and praise of God. The goal of this partnership is the fullness of God's glory being made manifest, being made known through God's people who bear the fruit of his life in us, inside and out, through the power of Jesus, which abounds to the glory and praise of God. This is the mission of the gospel, of this gospel partnership. The mission is that the gospel will go out into the world. That through God's people being led and empowered by God's Spirit, the gospel will go out. And the purpose is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God. Paul is praying for them that they will remember the goal and that they will thrive in pursuit of it. Think back to those sprinters. Throughout the race, uh, the, the sighted man, Jerome, he actually calls out. He's yelling at the guy as they're running full speed. And he tells them how far they've come and how far they have to go. So he's yelling every 10 meters the distance so that, he, that, that, that David Brown can know how to pace himself. To the guide helps the blind runners see the goal and push towards it. In this shared vision, they desire that the other flourish and thrive. Brothers and sisters, this is what we get to do for one another. Last week I said, as we, one of the ways that we step into this, the, the things that God would have for us in this book, is that we need to do it together. And we get to be guides for one another, linked together not by shoelaces, but by the Holy Spirit, calling each other, pointing them to the goal. And sometimes we get to do this when things, and we get to do this by sharing in, their jo in another's joy. Brother, sister, you should celebrate that, that win. Sometimes it is when, one of our, when our partner in, partners in the gospel are overwhelmed by life. They get complacent or just simply forget their way. Sometimes it's helping one another persevere and keep kicking, especially when they want to give up. And one of the ways that we do this is exactly the way that Paul does it. He prays for them. Look, brothers and sisters, don't reinvent the wheel. Pray Philippians 1, 9 through 11 for one another. Dear church, I have been praying this prayer for you for a couple weeks now. That your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. So that you would approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Husbands, pray this for your wives. Wives, pray this for your husbands. Parents, pray this for your kids. CG leaders, pray this for your CG members. 
Pray the church. Pray this for those that you know really well in the church and those that you don't know well in the church. Let's go to the Lord lifting one another up, desiring that they would know the fullness of Christ and live in light of that fullness. Do you realize that Paul is sharing his, what, how he has been praying? So this means that Paul has been praying this way regularly before he ever says a word to these people. He has been bringing them faithfully before the Lord, praying for them, and now he's sharing it with them. But he also does speak. He shares. He walks with them. And we get to do that too. I want to ask you, what are your friendships like, particularly in this gospel partnership? Are they more about just shared stages of life or just social friends that you've known for a long, long time or just that you have a common interest in? Or do you have friendships that point you to Jesus and bolster your life in him? Now, I don't mean just accountability partners. What, what I mean is that, 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 that we would help one another understand the dynamics of what it means to walk in light of the gospel. It's helping one another live and rest in the grace and promises of God. It is reminding each other of what God has done for us. It is reminding and pointing other, one another to the future that he has secured for us. And how that changes us day by day. A friend, a friend, a pastor friend uh, often says it like this, that a friend knows the song in our heart and can sing it back to us when we forget it. Friends, in our gospel partnership, the gospel's our song, but we often tend to forget it. We need one another to remind us of it. We get to run along one another Helping one another. Remember, he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So keep running. And in this, we see the power source for this partnership. It is the Lord himself. He is the ultimate source of why this partnership can grow and thrive. He is the one that started it, and he's the one that brings it to completion. Therefore, we don't pursue this goal simply by our own strength, but by the very power that has called us and is keeping us, the spirit of the living God that is at work in his people. So as we pursue this goal together, and we do so not by our strength, but through the power of God within us, I believe two things will happen. The first, the good news of Jesus will go out in power. It will actually be good news. That, that's given testimony by lives that are full of his grace. And two, that as individuals and as a church, we will become more holy and more whole. Meaning that if, that if we were made to know God, if we were made to have our life Connected him, but sin has separated us, but Jesus has come to, to bring us back to the God that we were made, that, that, that gives life. Well, then that would mean that we would be fully human, that we would be fully alive, that we would live in light of his fullness. That we, Jesus and church wouldn't just be something that we tack, tack on, but that it would, it, would, it would color all of life. It would shape all of our lives. And as, we, as the gospel goes out, as we become more whole and holy, 
the Lord will be glorified and praised. Friends, I know that this season has been confusing, disruptive, downright hard. But the Lord is reminding us of this partnership that he has called us into. It isn't for nothing. It's it's for our joy, for our fullness, for our flourishing, and for his glory. So Maranatha Grace, we're so thankful for you. And we praise God for this partnership that he has called us into, even as we try to navigate with, with discernment this season. And even so, I want us to, to urge you to keep running, looking to the promises that he secured for us. Let's close in prayer. And I'm going to use a prayer from Scotty Smith from this passage as we close. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for bringing us into this partnership. We are a motley bunch. Some of us were well-loved and grounded in the faith as children. Others grew up in a gospel-less religion or stone-dead churches. Some lived a life of cavalier hedonism before the gospel became real and precious. We're all equally needed and still need Jesus. You sought and found us, and you continue to pursue and free us. Thank you, Father. We ask that you would deepen our commitment to live and love to your glory and to finishing well, whether that's 20 minutes or 20 years from now. Keep rescuing us from dreams that don't include you and a lifestyle that doesn't require the gospel. Thank you for freedom to both boast in Christ and in our weaknesses. Thank you for promising to complete the good work that you began in each of us and in your whole cosmos. Nothing can separate us from your love. Remove us from your family or keep us from heaven. Nothing can separate us from you. And though war and rumors of war persist, thank you for being sovereign over each moment and all rulers in every place. So very amen we pray in Jesus' merciful and mighty name.